0: All right. Hello. So this is another episode of Courageous Conversations. This is actually my first solo episode. Um, so today what I will be talking about is why it is so crucially important that we as a society and culture get better at having difficult conversations with, people's who's, with people whose views just make us angry. Because what's happening right now is one of two things. Either we just don't have these difficult conversations, right, which is the most common thing, or when we do, it's explosive and it's verbally violent and it's unproductive and it drives wedges and it drives people apart, right? Those are the two things that I see happening. And, you know, because of this, we end up with these kind of echo chambers where we only talk to people we already agree with. And there's some real significant dangers to our society and our culture in doing that, right? And I foresee that things are gonna get uglier if we don't get better having these difficult conversations. And again, in effective, empathetic, patient, respectful ways. So um, one thing I do wanna point out before I get started here is some people when they hear me talking about this, think I'm advocating for some kind of a, you know, Why can't we all just get along, kumbaya, total acceptance of like, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as we all get along, that's okay. And that's not what I'm saying, because the truth is some perspectives, some opinions, some actions are truly harmful. Harmful to our society, harmful to cultures, harmful to individuals, harmful to the environment, harmful to whoever. There are a lot of perspectives out there that do need to be checked. And again a lot of people when they hear me talking think I'm just talking about hey let's just value being nice to each other over everything else because no one likes arguing and that's not it at all I am absolutely for checking problematic harmful evil whatever you want to call it viewpoints perspectives opinions policies ideas whatever it is however what I'm advocating for is a radically different way to engage in resisting those things other than a cutting people out of your life entirely and blocking them, or B, tearing into someone and telling them just what kind of person they are, right? There's another way to go about checking these evils and resisting what's wrong uh, in the world. And that's what I'm advocating for. Again, not advocating for some kind of prioritizing niceness over anything else, let's all get along type worldview, because that, you know, at best protects the status quo, right, doesn't bring about change. All right. Before we jump into it, I do want to throw a few caveats out here for those of you listening. Um, One caveat is that I am a leftist progressive, and while this episode is designed for everyone, what I share here applies to everyone. Everyone will find it valuable, I have to admit my bias, so when I'm sharing examples of people that I disagree with and made me angry, you'll notice, right, it's typically people who are more conservative right-wing people that are my examples, just from my life, and that's just because I'm a leftist progressive. However, if I had someone sitting next to me who was a far-right conservative, they could probably find ample examples of their own of interactions but again just want to kind of be out there and admit my bias however if you are a right-wing leaning person this episode will still be valuable to you and of course if you are a left-wing person like myself it'll be a little bit easier to resonate with me because again my examples and my uh uh, you know what i'm talking about will will certainly make sense to you because we have those shared experiences engaging with people on the right all right i like slow down here when i have a guest i think it's easier to like slow down when it's just me in an empty room talking to a camera lens it's a little more challenging all right um Last caveat here, what I'm going to be sharing here is true and applies to everyone to an extent, but this this episode is very much aimed at people who are not directly personally affected by whatever issues are being discussed, by whatever kind of ignorance or hate ideology is on display, right? So... You know, if it's racism that's you know being talked about, this episode is mostly aimed at white people and how they engage with the issue of racism. If it's transphobia, right, then I'm talking to cisgender people of all races. You know, if it's anti-Semitism or Holocaust denial, right, then I'm talking to non-Jewish people. Um, that's who I'm focusing this on. That's the only experience I have, right? I'm not a member of any marginalized group. Um, so that's who I'm speaking to. Now, again, I have seen examples of when people who were actually the victims of hateful ideologies, adopted the same way of behaving and thinking and acting, and it's actually really effective. So if you can manage it, you know, more power to you. But if you are a member of a marginalized group, don't feel like my um, my suggestions or, you know, my uh, my message here is something that I'm expecting you to necessarily adopt entirely. It's, and. Entirely up to you how much you adopt it, use it, or don't use it. I can't speak to your experiences or how useful my framework would be for someone in your shoes. So you can decide that for yourself. But again, if you are not personally affected by, and if you are not the victim of the issue at hand, then I definitely am addressing you directly, right? And again, whatever this issue is, right? We all have some, you know, uh, issues that we could that we are not affected by. That we could behave in this way. Anyways, this is probably a little too vague because I'm not even sharing exactly what I'm talking about here. Um, But again, I just want to put that caveat out there before I get started. So now I'm gonna start talking about why this is so important. And the first concept may seem slightly unrelated, but trust me, it's a good starting point. We have to recognize that everyone out there is the good guy in their own narrative. Even people that we see as easily identifiable as the bad guys, right? Um, uh, an analogy or a, a comparison that was made a while back that I you know, still think about to this day is that while, of course, there are differences, there are a lot of similarities between Luke Skywalker and the rebellion of Star Wars that we're all trained to root for and a modern-day jihadist. Again, there's differences to be sure, but there's similarities too, to the point where if a modern-day jihadist were to watch A New Hope, I guarantee you they would say yeah we're the rebel alliance we're luke skywalker and you know our enemies right the western world the us whoever is the empire again not saying that's accurate but saying that you need to understand that even people that we see as obviously the bad guys still see themselves as the good guys in their own story uh, the capital riders right clearly doing terrible things domestic terrorism sedition all of it they deserve whatever kind of you know justice gets dealt out However, what you have to understand is that those people in their world, what had just happened was that this centuries-old American democracy had been completely and utterly turned off and replaced entirely with a system of whoever cheats the most wins or the election goes to the highest bidder, right? And I don't know about you, but if that actually happened, I'd be right out there in the streets with them. in the capitol building but i'd certainly be out there in the streets raising a stink over it that is not okay that is horrendously dangerous and that cannot happen right we need the integrity of our elections and in their world in their minds that is what had just disappeared and gone away So again, they were the good guys in their own narrative. Honestly, in my opinion, their mistake wasn't necessarily what they chose to do at that moment. Their their real mistake happened months and years previous when they lost touch of who to trust, right? When they lost touch of how to weigh information in a a relatively non-biased way. That's the real error, right? Because that's what led them to believe without a shadow of a doubt that this is what had happened even though the evidence didn't really point to it. So anyways, whole point of that bit, even the, bad guys are the good guys in their own narrative all of the terrible things that have been done by humankind over the centuries I would argue 90 to 99% of those things were done by people who when they were doing them thought they were the good guy in that situation doing the right thing okay So how do you get to this point, right? How do you get to this point where you can literally commit to acts of domestic terrorism and think of the good guy when you can get to the point where you can bomb buses full of school children and think of the good guy, right? That's crazy. Most of us human beings have this like built-in moral compass sense of right and wrong, which is actually surprisingly aligned on the big stuff, um, you know, but between peoples and cultures and times. So how do you get to this point, right? I would, I would argue that the way you get to this point, and we'll just call this point extremism, right? The point where you can do terrible things and think of the good guy, we'll just call it extremism for this conversation. How do you get to this point of extremism? And I believe it's from focusing entirely on one small sliver, one piece of reality to the exclusion of the rest of reality. Because here's the thing. We've all heard the expression like the other side or two sides of the same coin, right? It's this expression that gives you the idea that, you know, sometimes seemingly opposing things can both be true at the same time. And that, you know, reality looks different based on how you're looking at it. I like the expression two sides of the same coin. However, it oversimplifies things because reality isn't a two sided coin. There's many more than two sides to reality. Reality is I picture like massive diamond with a thousand different surfaces, I think facets is the word. So a thousand different facets on this diamond, right? And depending on where the light source is and where you are and how you turn the diamond, you'll see different facets of the diamond light up and become obvious to you, right? And of course, you know, reality is so complex. None of us have seen every surface of this diamond that is reality. We've all seen some of it, some of us more than others. And extremism comes when you focus entirely on one small slice of the truth. Your brain's tricked into believing it and basing your actions on it because you know this thing is true. And in many cases, at the root of every you know, extremist movement, there is a slice of truth generally, as the, the center nugget. And then of course the rest of it is you know lies, misinformation, and um, etc. But I think extremism comes when you just focus on one side of reality and don't see the rest of reality for what it is. Because oftentimes, as you know, you know. Hear one fact, you get one conclusion, you hear two or three other facts, suddenly the picture changes and you realize, oh, there's actually something you know different going on here. So that's how you get to a point of extremes and focusing on one slice or maybe a few slices of reality to the in thinking, importantly, thinking you have all of it. Thinking you see all of it, even in reality, you only see a small piece. So how does it get to this point, right? How does it get to this point where you're only looking at a tiny sliver of reality and yet your brain's telling you you see the whole picture, right? Shouldn't you be aware that there's more that you're missing? Well, that has to do with echo chambers, right? Echo chambers, is this idea that you are only talking to people who agree with you. You are only being presented information from, you know sources that align with what you already believe, right? Nothing about your current worldview is being challenged. It's only being reinforced. Because understand human beings have a strong tendency to put a lot of weight in consensus as we should. That's not necessarily a bad tendency, right? Oftentimes the wisdom of crowds um, is actually Um, you know, superior to any one person's perspectives. So this tendency to to, to believe in consensus is strong, but in order for that to function properly, that consensus has to come from an, uh, an even and a complete sample, right? However, echo chambers are when you are only getting that consensus from people who already agree with you, which means you aren't really getting consensus. You're getting one perspective echoed back and forth from 10 different people back and forth to each other, reinforcing each other. This gives you this sense that, A, I'm right because everyone I talk to agrees with me. But also this gives you this sense that there's nothing more because you're not getting any viewpoints that disagree with you. You're not getting any inputs that rattle and shake up your beliefs. So you have this confidence that, yeah, I've got the whole picture because everything I hear aligns perfectly with this worldview I already have. And it's just a constant state of reinforcing the existing worldview and nothing challenges it. And this is how you get to the point where you only see two sides of this many-sided diamond, but you really don't see the other sides. You don't even see them enough to realize they're there. So echo chambers are incredibly dangerous. Again, you look at any terrible thing that happened, I bet you it was preceded by an echo chamber of people all reinforcing each other's ideas um, before they got to the point of really committing terrible actions. So where do echo chambers come from, right? Human beings always have this tendency to be around people who are like them. That's always existed, which is part of the reason why extremism and terrible things have always existed throughout history. However, we have a new way of creating echo chambers in our modern world that we never had before. And that is social media and really all of our online interactions because the internet in in, in an effort to get as much of your attention and time as possible, has created a lot of different ways to make sure you have a purely positive experience on their platforms. And one of the ways you can have a positive experience on a platform is by only being fed things you like to see. And again, when it's a matter of, hey, you like running and chicken recipes, so I'll show you more running and chicken recipes, that's probably not very harmful. But of course, when it comes to politics, this tendency of social media platforms and the entire Internet, by extension, to only give us things we like to see creates this massive echo chamber, right? And part of what's at play here is algorithms, right? Facebook notices you engage with posts from this page regularly, but rarely with posts from this page. So it takes note and starts feeding more of what you like. So for someone like me, that means I engage with a lot of, you know, articles that are shared from CNN I never, well, unless of course I'm getting really angry. I generally never engage with posts from Fox News or something, right? There's also a lot of self-selection in this where when I set up my Facebook account years ago, I don't think the entire time I've had Facebook, I have ever clicked like or follow on Fox News. So it's not even a matter of the algorithm choosing things. I literally just never opened the door that that stuff would come in front of me, right? Um, of course, we self-select our friends list. right? You're on LinkedIn, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, whatever platform, you see someone whose views make you angry, what do you do? Sometimes you engage with them and argue with them and then rage block them, but more often than not, you don't even have the energy for that and you just block them right away and say, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. I don't need that kind of bullcrap on my feed on a regular basis because I don't need that kind of stress, anxiety, pressure, and anger in my life. And blocking them absolutely is an effective strategy to deal with that problem, right? You no longer have to deal with their bullcrap. However, what's happening as a society is that everyone's engaging this, which means that if you're left as progressive like me, you know, pretty soon after Trump got elected, if not years before, all your conservative friends were blocked and unfollowed. Right? All the conservative leaning news sources were probably never on your page to begin with, but you got rid of them if they were there, which means all you ever see is a leftist progressive perspective. And of course, if you are someone who is a right wing conservative person, you blocked a lot of your leftist friends or let's be real, they blocked you. And now your Facebook feed is filled full of nothing but people who agree with the right wing conservative perspective. And suddenly in social media, we have an even more effective way than the past to create these echo chambers. I would even argue COVID made it even worse because in the past, you know, you at least had coworkers who disagree with you politically that occasionally might talk about political things at their desks sometimes, where now we don't even have that, right? (laughs) For most of us, it's just us here in our offices and then the people we choose to engage with online. So we get to create our own world, our own world that is specifically tailored to look the way we want it to look. And that may or may not be closely aligned with the reality of the way the world is, right? But the internet just keeps feeding us a view of the world, which is exactly what we like to see and want to see. And again, this opens the door to extremism. So these echo chambers are very dangerous, right? Um, One good example of this, Dylan Roof is a man who went to the, I think, what was it? The Emanuel Baptist Church um, in South Carolina where there was a Bible study going on and murdered, I think there was nine or 10 black people there that he murdered in cold blood. What's interesting is that eight months previous, he was a pretty average you know, uh, frustrated, racially biased, poor white guy in South Carolina, right? Nowhere near anything like that. But then he created a Stormfront account. Stormfront is, you know, the breeding ground uh, and the social preferred social media platform of white supremacists, neo-Nazis, white nationalists, etc. And in only eight months, he got pulled into that community, sucked into that community. And for eight months, he heard nothing but the rhetoric of that community. And that was it. It was just him and his computer and the rhetoric of this community. And he got so out of touch with reality that he actually believed he was doing the right thing and the best thing. Before he murdered those people, he said something to the effect of, I'm sorry, you're you're such nice people, but you just have to go. He really believed he was making himself a martyr for the good of the world. What's terrifying and sad and hard to wrestle with is that the same deep inner human drive of self-sacrifice and willing to give of yourself to make the world a better place that caused, you know, first responders to run into the twin, you know the twin towers that they were burning was the same drive that drove Dylan Roof to commit cold blooded murder again not trying to say there's a lot of overlap there but it was the same base human drive of I'm willing to sacrifice myself my life my well-being for the good of the world and again how do you get to that point of delusion well it's these echo chambers right it's 8 months inside of stormfront that gets you to this point where your worldview is so skewed you've lost touch with reality you know, I would say maybe a less intense version of that, but still damaging version of that, is Parlor in 2020, right? Parlor became the social media place where all right-wing people went and they only ever talked about politics in the news of the day with people on the right. And, you know, I, I'm not here to kind of like lay down how much responsibility is do where, but I know that a lot of what happened at the Capitol was uh, facilitated by conversations and groups that had formed on Parlor. Again, this is dangerous when people isolate themselves and only talk with people that they agree with. So that's part of why I'm so passionate about this, right? These groups, these echo chambers are dangerous. Now, again, I'm showing right-wing examples of echo chambers, but the truth is left-wing echo chambers can cause harm too. In fact, I've heard some things about like what left-wing activists have done this year, which of course weren't in the news, which were actually pretty appalling as well. So, you know, for those of us on the left, don't think that we're somehow immune from doing terrible things because we get caught up in echo chambers. Currently, there's more prevalent examples of people on the right doing that. but it doesn't mean that people are immune to this. Again, it can happen to anyone to get swept up in an ideology and lose touch with reality. Here's another reason why I'm so passionate about this. This kind of idea or analogy came to me this summer, possibly as a direct result of the California wildfires, possibly unrelated. But I realized that, you know, a lot of what, a lot of the spirit behind Adolf Hitler's rise to power and how he gained public support felt very similar to a lot of, you know, the rhetoric that that Trump used to gain public support, right? And I realized that there are going to be people, and again, apologize for a purely leftist view on this, I'll bet just one on the right could come up with a good analogy, um, you know, from the other side of things. But from my perspective, there are going to be these people from time to time that society is going to produce who, you know, are very nationalistic, who are very hungry for power, who are able, willing, and ready to use fear um, and division and othering to create their, uh, to get the power that they need, right? There's always going to be these people out there, these people who are like, you know, Adolf Hitler, right? And many other dictators who have come, you know, throughout history, who've inspired people to do terrible, horrendous things to each other. These people are always going to be produced from time to time, right? Just know some combination of genetics and circumstances will produce people like this who are hungry for power and willing to use hateful rhetoric to get there what separates the ones who take off and gain massive amounts of power and are able to start world wars from the ones who just stay you know frustrated angry people who you know never really accomplish much has a lot to do with kind of the receptivity of the general public to their message in the same way that lightning strikes are a very common and dependable occurrence in natural forests. But what determines whether or not it's a small little brush fire that no one knows about or whether it's a wildfire that you know eats up half the state is how much deadwood and debris is sitting around waiting for that lightning to strike, right? And I, and I see this the same way. There will be a time when someone much more dangerous than Donald Trump vies for power. Whether or not they get support and whether or not they get elected and whether or not they're able to push a lot of agendas has a lot to do with how much dead wooden debris is laying around, right? So the strategy employed by many people, and again, speaking from left's perspective here, the strategy employed by a lot of people on the left who say, wow, that person's views are hateful and ignorant and bigoted and I don't want them in my life, block, done. What that's doing is that's removing them from your world. But that's not removing them from the world. We have a responsibility to do whatever is in our power to deal with this rush, these people who are susceptible to this messaging before our next, you know, our next Donald Trump comes. And truthfully, as much as I hate Donald Trump, you could get a lot, lot worse than Donald Trump. So I think the strategy of just ignoring people who have hateful, ignorant, hateful views and expecting that because they disappeared from our world, they no longer can do harm is a very dangerous viewpoint. The truth is these people exist, these hateful views exist, and the more of them are sitting out there in our society waiting, the more dangerous our next you know, leader is going to be, right? So we have to deal with this issue, we have to address this issue. We can't just cut these people off and expect it'll work itself out. In fact, as I just mentioned, the effect of cutting these people off is the opposite of it'll work itself out. Cutting these people off pushes them further into the arms of the storm fronts and the parlors of the world, right? It pushes them further into fringe groups and extremism and puts them deeper into their echo chamber, which increases the chances that they're going to turn to extremist views and extremist actions. Um... Relating to this is a theory I have, and I believe there's a nugget of truth to this, but I, I also admit that there could be errors in this, and I encourage you to engage me in the comments if you see some serious errors with this. But I think there's, there's a nugget of truth at the core, core, core of this. I think that the rise and support for Donald Trump is to a significant extent due to people like myself on the left and how we engaged with and how we treated people on the right over the last decade. Because these people who are on the right for the last decade have been insulted and verbally attacked, and they have been shamed and denigrated, and the whole world is starting to shift away from their way of seeing things, which by the way, I don't mind because I'm left progressive. I like that shift. And as the world turns away from their way of seeing things, it increasingly turns hostile to them, right? And it's very, a lot of people on the left are very, very harsh in the way we go about talking to people on the right. There's a lot of disrespect, a lot of shame, a lot of isolation and ostracization and personal attacks and all this stuff that left collectively, the American right, feeling pretty bruised, right? feeling emotionally bruised, battered, frustrated, unheard, and guess what? Donald Trump had the perfect message to resonate with people who were feeling frustrated and unheard and emotionally battered and bruised. He said everything they needed to hear, everything they wanted to hear, everything their hearts had been craving for. And they found a deep emotional resonance with his messaging, which created a type of loyalty, which was impervious to anything that Donald Trump did. Right. Realistically, you know, the, the, the American right that so values, you know, uh, Morality and family values, and you know, uh, religious values and sexual purity, and all these things, right? Should have been really, really freaking disturbed by the grab by the pussy comment, right? And by the Stormy Daniels, you know, uh, evidence coming to light. They should have been really disturbed by that. But you know, I'm sure, as my fellow leftist noticed, no one actually really bad an eye at anything Trump did or said because that type of fierce fanatical loyalty comes into play when there's that deep emotional resonance, that emotional connection with someone, right? You're suddenly willing to forgive and turn a blind eye to and make up excuses for someone in a massive way when you have that deep emotional connection with a a leader that you've never had in the past, right? And again, my argument is that there wouldn't have been that deep emotional connection to Trump's messaging. They wouldn't have been so drawn to him if they hadn't just spent the last 10 years you know, being emotionally battered and bruised by people on the left who didn't just stop with you know, sharing the truth and calling out what was wrong, but they went and did it in a way that was harmful and hateful and, you know, and, and shamed people and insulted people and went to that level. Again, not advocating that we stay silent in the presence of problematic thinking and opinions, but that when we engage, we do it in a way with a lot more empathy and kindness because the emotional damage done by attacking and insulting people sits there and it resonates and it stays there and again when someone like trump comes around people are drawn to him with that much more of a magnetic connection because of that you know emotional abuse we'll call it that's that's a stretch of course but i did hear one person on the right use that expression when they were when they were talking about the way they were treated by people on the left Um, so anyways right in summary here echo chambers are dangerous when we cut people off or when we are rude and harsh and use shame tactics. It just drives people further into these echo chambers and it creates a atmosphere that is very easy for folks like Adolf Hitler and Donald Trump to capitalize on and take advantage of. That's kind of the, you know, dry wood analogy, right? And again, there's going to be someone worse than Trump who comes along one day. The Question is how much success will they have and how much will people swarm to them? A lot of that depends on the state of political tensions in the US. If we can get to a point where we disagree with people on the right and we try to convince people on the right that they're wrong, but we do so in a very respectful, empathetic human way, I don't think there's gonna be nearly the kind of pull to support someone like Trump again so blindly, you know? All right. So another question is, what can we do? okay so we're in this place where social media creates echo chambers we're in this place where people are rude and harsh and mean to each other and we now recognize that people that we cut out of our lives oftentimes become more dangerous because they've been cut out of the lives of everyone but fellow extremists i think the solution to this is that we all get very good at engaging in difficult conversations with views with people whose views make us angry because through doing that we're able even if they rejected it first able to expose to them other aspects of reality they haven't seen before. Now don't expect anything to happen right away. This is a long process. In fact, I would say that your goal isn't always even to change someone's mind and get them to come over to your side of thinking. Sometimes your goal is simply through through your conversation, keep them tethered to reality so they don't go any further into extremism, right? Maybe it'll never change their current views, but by having this conversation with them, you're kind of shoring it up um, shoring things up so that it's less likely that they go even further from reality and even further into extremism, right? So don't think because you engage in a conversation they don't say, you're right, I've changed my mind, that you're not doing any good, right? Exposing someone to other sides of reality is enough to sow seeds of doubt. It's enough to keep them from going further into extremism. It's enough to keep them from dehumanizing people who are on your side, right? That's a real danger that I see happening equally on both sides where people on the right talk about Democrats and really dehumanize them in the way they talk about them. Which is why, by the way, it seems appropriate to some guy driving a truck at the Unite the Right rally to drive his truck into a group full of protesters because he's dehumanized Democrats and liberals in his mind to a point where that behavior is acceptable. But I see the exact same thing happening, right? Where people on the left dehumanize people on the right. If you haven't yet heard, right, it's common to refer to Trump supporters as maggots, right? MAGA with a T at the end, maggots. And again, as much as that's appealing to someone like me who really dislikes people who support Trump, that is dehumanization and that is dangerous. So by having these conversations, it helps both sides not dehumanize the other because dehumanization is the most dangerous thing these human beings engage in. So again, even if you don't change someone's mind, just having that conversation is very powerful. Now one piece of advice I'll give here um, this episode isn't like really going to go deep on like how to do this effectively. that'll be a future episode. but one of the biggest things you have to shift out of a mindset focused on what's fair and what do these people deserve drop that entirely and focus instead on a mindset of what kind of impact do I want to have on these people and what's the best way to have this impact because when you see someone spewing hateful, maybe even violent, right? Rhetoric about gay people, about Jews, about BLM, about whatever, right? You could make a pretty fair argument that they deserve to be called every name in the book and that what's right is to, you know, give them, give it back to them as strong as they're dishing it out. And maybe that is right. Maybe that is fair. Maybe that is deserved. I'm not really here to speak on what's fair, what's right, what's deserved. All I know is that that type of activity does nothing but push these people further into echo chambers and isolate them more and make them more dangerous. The impact you want to have is not to push them further into that echo chamber. The impact you want to have on someone is to draw them a little bit closer, right, to the door of that echo chamber so they can at least see the outside world. And again, tether them to reality and maybe one day change their minds. Maybe one day get them to reverse position on something. That'd be great. But it doesn't have to be that severe for it to be a success. Just having the conversation makes it harder for them to dehumanize you, plant seeds of doubt in their mind that maybe one day will blossom to make them change their minds. And again, at least keeps them from slipping further into extremism where they're, where they're really dangerous. So focus on impact. When you're talking to someone who's hateful, don't think what does this person deserve think what impact do I want to have on them? And what's the best way to have that impact? And that's absolutely how I'm approaching this, right? If you told me that insulting people and shaming people was the quickest way to get them to change their minds, trust me, I would be there. I would develop a whole podcast just dedicated to insulting and shaming people because you make me angry. And it would be the funnest friggin' podcast I ever did. However, that's not what works, right? Time and time again, we've seen from folks like Daryl Davis, who's a black man who attends KKK rallies, befriends white supremacists, and has helped 200 people leave the KKK through his friendship with them. We found That's not what works, right? story of Megan Phelps Roper and how she left the Westboro Baptist Church. Again, decades and decades of insults being hurled at her never made her question her faith one little bit. A couple of years of people engaging her in respectful, patient dialogue on Twitter did the trick. But notice I said a couple of years, right? Again, this is a long process. Think about how you came to your political views. Most people, especially if you change your views over time, most people have a story of a pattern of four or five years changing their view on something. That's for me. Right. I was raised fairly conservative and Christian. And now I'm, you know, fairly leftist and progressive. And for me, it was a process of four or five years to make that transition. So if most people and again, many of you I'm talking to fall in this bucket, took four or five years to form your opinions or in some cases change your opinions. Why would you expect four or five comments on a post to do that? So don't really get discouraged is what I'm saying. Don't get discouraged when you engage with someone you don't change their mind on the first try. There's still a lot of good being done there by having that conversation. And collectively as a society, when we get better at this, these echo chambers will start to come closer together. And we'll at least have more windows in them, right? Even if we don't entirely, you know, um, you know, have an even mixed Facebook feed, right? I expect everyone will always have a little bit more of what they like, at least have some experience, some taste of other perspectives and other people um, other than your own. And again, returning back to what I talked about earlier in this episode with, you know, people bring up the point of, hey, you know, I'm a transgender person. When I see transphobia, do you really expect me to just show up and like be patient, patient and kind and take that shit, right? And again, I don't. Um, if you can manage it, great, it's, it'll be really effective. Um, again, just like Daryl Davis going to KKK Realize, it's really effective. However, I can't ask that of you. One thing I would ask of everyone though, again, particularly folks who are not personally victimized by these hateful ideologies, is think of this in terms of a balance between doing what's good for you and doing what's best for society. Because again, when you see someone who makes you angry and you block them, in some ways that is good for you, right? Less stress, less anxiety, less anger, more positive experience online, there are benefits. I would say there's also downsides, but there are benefits to you of blocking those people. However, as I just explained, there's a real risk to society of isolating those people in their own little echo chambers and people like us cutting them off and excommunicating them, real risk. So in many areas of our lives, we have this balancing act of do what's best for me versus do what's best for society, right? Because those things oftentimes you can't achieve at the same time. Sometimes you do have to prioritize one over the other. Again, I'm not here to tell you what that balance is because we all do have to take care of ourselves. Self-care is important, mental health is important. You can't entirely disregard that variable altogether, right? However, what I'm seeing is that people are entirely disregarding the other side of things, which is the good of society, the good of our culture, right? The safety um, of our nation comes down to, again, helping people not get so caught up in echo chambers. So where you find that balance is up to you. My admonishment, I guess, is to make it a balance, not an entire one-sided adoption of just the take care of me strategy, right? Where every person you disagree with gets blocked instantly, right? I would urge you to make that a last resort. A last resort when you've realized that you cannot possibly maintain your mental and emotional health while still connected to this person, rather than a first response of, oh, I don't like that, gone, right? Because understand that if you are not affected by what's at hand, by you choosing to turn away from this person who believes these things, cut them off from you, you're effectively closing the door for them to come over to your way of seeing things and have their eyes opened, right? Not saying that by leaving the door open they necessarily would come to have their to have their eyes open, but at least the possibility remains. And when you close that door by blocking them or you know getting an argument with them and insulting them, you're making it that less that much less likely that they'll ever change their harmful views. And guess what? You're not the one who's going to have to deal with that, right? When I decide to not engage with a transphobic person because they just frustrate me, and they're allowed to remain transphobic, and the possibility of them ever opening their eyes become smaller by me cutting them out of my life, I'm not the one who pays that price, right? It's the trans coworker that they're going to have 10 years from now who's going to have to pay that price because I didn't want to deal with it 10 years prior. So again, if you're not personally affected and victimized by what's at hand, I think you have a real responsibility to do what you can. And again, getting someone to change their mind right away is not the only way to measure success. Planting seeds of doubt that come to fruition in 10 years is success. Anchoring someone up against further extremism to the point where they don't go any get any worse than they are now. That's success. Getting to the point where they at least can respect people on your side of the aisle and not dehumanize them because they've had a good kind of interaction with you, that is a form of success. And while it's okay to choose your own mental health over the good of society from time to time, and we all do that you should recognize that that's not the strategy you should follow all the time. Because again, collectively, our our culture is suffering because of that. Um, One helpful analogy I'll give that I have found very useful in engaging with people whose views make me very angry is actually very similar to how, at least those of us on the left, I I don't know about on the right, but those of us on the left are taught to you know, engage with and think of people struggling with addictions, right? Understand, you know, most addictions are your fault that you have it, right? And most addictions you have caused harm to those in your life and there should be some responsibility and accountability for the harm you've caused. However, shaming people who have addictions is not helpful. Insulting people who have addictions is not helpful. Reminding them of all the harm they've done to people in their lives is not helpful. What helps people get out of addictions patience and empathy and support yes mixed with accountability and I think we should adopt that same type of mindset with people who have these hateful views again they've made choices in their life that have led them to be racist and transphobic sometimes those are choices that they've like opted into like choosing who to hang out with sometimes those are choices they just failed to opt out of right in our culture most of us are raised with a white preference or a white supremacist mindset that we have to work to undo and some of these people have not chosen to work to undo that So I'm not saying let's walk away from responsibility, but I'm saying let's approach this with empathy and help these people rather than shaming them, rather than insulting them. Again, in the same way that you found out someone you love struggling with addiction, while you might hold them accountable, you would still show up with empathy and with patience and with kindness to help them out of where they are to a better place because you know, if you cut them off entirely, their odds of getting out of that addiction is much, much lower right? So again, obviously there's differences between addictions and political views, but I think that same type of mindset of while it's okay to hold people accountable, I'm predominantly here to help you get out of where you're at and get to a better place. And I recognize that if I cut you off, the odds of me ever being able to help you out and the odds of you ever getting out become much lower. Because by the way, when people are ignorant about something, they generally can't detect and unrealize their own ignorance, right? You don't know what you don't know. I know very few people who said, yeah, I knew I was ignorant the whole time. I just chose to stay ignorant, right? Most people don't think they're ignorant. Most people think they got it. And it's the rest of the world who's missing it. So you've got to come alongside with that mentality of what impact do I want to have on this person and what's the best way for me to help them leave these harmful worldviews they hold now and see the light and peel the scales off their eyes so they can see a better way, right? And again, apathy, kindness, and compassion are the only way to help people um, change their views on things politically, only way to help people leave extremist groups. And again, also the only way to help people you know, break addictions and other bad patterns and habits in their lives. So that is my uh, that is my message. I will do a future episode where I go into a little bit more specifics of how to do this, because even if you agree this is important, that doesn't change the fact that when you see that bull crap spewed out on the screen in front of you, it's gonna create a crimson hot rage inside you. And you're gonna be like, okay, what do I do now, right? There are things that you can do to more effectively engage with people. There are things you can do to monitor your own mental and emotional state, and there are ways you can craft your message to make them more palatable to the person you're talking to, to increase the chances that they actually accept what you're saying and make it part of their own worldview. So I will do a future episode going into that. This episode is mostly focused on why it's so important and why it's so dangerous to avoid this work altogether. Um, A lot of the uh, episodes that I've recorded will now maybe make a little more sense seen through this view right? And future episodes that I do will make more sense seen to this view. I'll say, if you like what I'm saying here, if this resonated with you and you want to be part of you know, healing this divide and getting people in echo chambers to, to talk to each other, um, then this will be a great podcast for you. So if, wherever you're watching this or listening to it, subscribe to it. Um, I'm going to have episodes every week talking about different courageous conversations. Many of them will be between people who disagree about political topics. Many of them will be other forms of courageous conversations, right? But it's all going to be very valuable and help you have these conversations. Um, one last thing that I'll throw out here is if this message really resonated with you and if you find yourself you know, saying, oh, heck yes, to a lot of what I'm saying, uh, let me know. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way to do it, right? I'm Jonathan Mahan. Um, I don't know. I'm the only guy who looks like this. Of course, few podcast listeners, that might not help. Anyways, I'll put a link to my LinkedIn profile in this episode. So you guys can see that. Connect with me. Um, I don't know exactly what I'll do. Maybe I'll create a LinkedIn group, a Facebook group, a Slack community, a a free Patreon page. But if this really resonates with you, let me know, because we shouldn't have to do this work alone. This is hard. We shouldn't have to struggle and learn uh, independently, right? We can work on it together so i'm going to create some kind of an insider's group i don't know what i'll call it but some kind of an insider's group where you guys can suggest episode ideas to me when i'm looking for a guest to have to make a, a great episode you know you guys can help introduce me to guests we can work on growing our skills together um, because myself as strong as i believe in this i'm i'm not perfect at it right like i do okay but <laughs> i think i could get a lot better um and even if you know you guys are really resonating with this i am actually opening this platform up to have guest hosts as well where you can do episodes where i'm not even there and it's just you and someone else having a courageous conversation together um because i realized that just seeing my face over and over again you know has some value but there could be a lot more value in this show if there was a wider range of people involved in the conversations um and if i make up 50% of every conversation right i'm going to kind of bring a certain uh uh-huh, I guess you know bias and i'll bring the same thing to the table over and over again where if we have a wide array of hosts and guests then that'll be much more valuable to people so if interests you, like i said message me on linkedin i'm going to create some kind of an insider's group um, on some kind of platform <laughs> and uh we'll take it from there all right now the kind of formal we'll say episode is over i'm actually recording this uh in linkedin live so a lot of people have been asking questions um, and leaving comments here. So I'm going to go hold, go ahead and scroll through some of these and maybe respond to some of these um, as we're here. If you're listening and have a question, feel free to throw it out. i got like 18 more minutes before I got to move on to something else. So I'll go ahead and just do some questions and answers here. All right. Yeah, Justin says, I used to believe that the way you lean determined whether or not you're a good person or not. Thankfully, I've learned better. Like it's hard to not succumb to that. Like I absolutely felt that way, that if you were a right-leaning person, you were either A, morally bankrupt and hateful and bigoted by nature, or you were just an idiot. Because for me, um, just kind of the way I was raised in my life story is I started life with mostly conservative views. And the more I thought about them and the more I educated myself on them, the more I researched them, the more liberal my views became, which led me to assume if you have conservative views you clearly haven't thought about them because you're not all that intelligent or self-aware so it's hard not to succumb to this and again this kind of gets on the line of that dehumanization thing right where again these people are somehow less than me and deserve less not deserving of the same respect right so yeah no i'm here to say that i have found you can be a very good person and be conservative from my perspective to be conservative you do have to be mistaken about a lot of things that's my viewpoint but you can still be there, a very, very good person be a conservative. And again, I hope conservatives feel the same way about me. When I think I'm a good person, I'm just mistaken, right? All right, um, Louis said, I suggest that people quarantine from social media. There's so much misinformation on social media, it's affecting people during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. So there's an element of truth there, right? A lot of social media is responsible for a lot of misinformation. Um, and cutting it out of your life would be helpful, but the truth is you're still going to get your inputs about the world from somewhere. And maybe it's just a matter of, instead of choosing which pages you follow on social media, maybe it's a matter of choosing which magazines you read. Right? The one thing I like about social media is it does kind of democratize, um, information a little bit better where, you know, in the world before social media, if you want to get your message out, you know, it was like the major newspapers and the major news networks kind of had a monopoly on what story was told in the news where now. You can be an independent blogger and have a video go viral right because if what you're speaking resonates with people it can get spread out there so it kind of has democratized information a little bit to the point where it's less concentrated in the hands of just the elite the rich and powerful the news networks and now again a, an independent newspaper which is a nonprofit and only has a thousand subscribers again can have an article go viral um, so i don't know how i feel about that but you should at the very least be watchful of how social media is impacting you. And I do recommend to everyone that you follow pages and people who disagree with you. There are people on my Facebook page who, every time I see their crap in my post, it makes me angry and I think this person's a dumbass. But I keep them there because I understand they have something valuable to offer me by maybe occasionally exposing me to an aspect of reality that I haven't seen before. So I would say if you're going to stay on social media, make an effort to go follow half a dozen people who disagree with you, two or three news sources that put out news that you tend to not like and don't agree with, right? Just to help keep things more balanced. All right, let's see if there's anything else. Let's see, the addict analogy is a great way to handle the challenge of doing people's beliefs make you angry. Yeah, I thought so too. And what's interesting is that in almost every area, people on the left are very good at Understanding the value of a variety of people's perspectives and legit, understanding the value of listening to people's lived experiences and understanding the value of approaching things with empathy, right? In general, broad brushstrokes here, it's <clears throat> a conservative people who have a bit more of that, like, pull yourself up on your bootstraps, quit whining, complaining, like, life is tough, you got to be tougher type mentality, right? And the, like, very hard, like, right and wrong type of uh, worldview, right? In general. But for some reason, People on the left can understand that, you know, neurodiversity is valuable, right? People on the left in general can understand that though it might be challenging in some ways to have someone with autism in a workplace, there's something that a person with autism can add to a workplace that's beneficial and they should be there because they have something valuable to add. We can understand that, right? But for some reason, people on the left can't understand that there's actually value that a conservative voice brings to in the workplace. We just can't understand that there's a place for that, right? We wanna create our workspaces where there's nobody Republican in the workspace. It's just us, right? we don't understand that there's value to a conservative outlook. Why? Why can we see this value of diversity in everything except for a conservative bent, right? Come on. Again, there are unhealthy expressions of conservative mindset and healthy expressions, right? And of course the unhealthy versions probably don't have a place, but there are healthy expressions and healthy versions of a conservative worldview, which do have value and do have a place, right? Again, the Attic analogy, in general, people on the left have a pretty easy time understanding that when someone has an addiction, right? Shaming them isn't helpful. And just nothing but hard accountability and ultimatums and ostracizing isn't helpful, right? People understand that and they get that. But for some reason, when it's a conservative or if it's a, you know, even let's say like, even if it's like someone who's, you know, pretty racist and bigoted and homophobic, we can't understand that same idea that it's still empathy and compassion that is helpful. Shame isn't useful, right? I would even say People on the left find it very easy to understand that regardless of how much you disagree morally with what someone's doing, let's say for an example of, strongly religious parents who believe that being homosexual is a choice and that it is immoral and will send you to hell, even if you believe that, it is not okay to cut people out of your life and to ostracize them and to shame them, right? We understand that. We understand that even if you believe being gay is a sin, even if you believe to send them to hell, it is not okay to cut off your own relatives and ostracize them. But for some reason, We can't understand that when someone has political views that you think are evil and awful and wrong, right? And that you think they've made terrible choices, that it's not okay to cut them off and to ostracize them, right? Like, come on. You know, again, you know, from my perspective, right? You know, holding, you know, racist beliefs and being gay are very different and they are very different. However, from inside the mind of the person, it is similar, again if you're conserv- you know, if you're a fundamentalist Christian, you believe it's a choice, you believe it's a sin, you believe, you know, so from your perspective, it is similar to, from my perspective, seeing someone is choosing, you know, to be, to be hateful and bigoted. I'm probably going to get attacked for drawing that analogy because it's a faulty analogy. There's a lot wrong with it, but I hope you can see the nugget of connection between those two things. So again, I've often found that these beliefs and values people on the left have. They apply to every group of people from immigrants to convicted felons to drug abusers to people of other cultures and races. Like we apply this general type of like, you know, empathy and understanding and passion in every case, except for people in the political right. And I think it's the dehumanization thing, right? We can see these people who are, you know, all these various oppressed groups in disadvantaged groups, we see them as human beings and deserving of empathy, but we have dehumanized people on the right to the point where we don't see them as deserving of the same kind of empathy, compassion, respect, patience, etc. Again, please don't turn me apart for the faults and the analogies there. I hope the through line uh, connected. Um, yeah, and Kristen said she had to uh, had to stop reading comments after Phoebe Kamala Harris was nominated. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> people are pretty awful. And i will admit fully here right even myself as strong as i believe these things do not practice this every chance i get because like i have a job and a family and i probably see hateful awful comments online 12 times a day but i do make sure on a regular basis to act in this way right i would say at least once a week right i'm engaging in conversation with someone who i disagree with Giving them the chance to express themselves, giving them a non judgmental space for them to share their viewpoints and perspectives, and doing the best I can to kind of open their eyes to maybe things I hadn't considered before. And again, you know, I haven't had people say, wow, shucks, John, you're right. I changed my mind, right? But we've gotten closer and I've planted seeds of doubt, and I've gotten them to make small concessions about things. Um, and ultimately, I think I've shored them up against more extremism, and if I'm able to keep the conversation going, I've absolutely sowed the seeds where I may actually be able to change their mind one day on something. So yeah, you know, exa- again, when Kamala Harris gets nominated, the internet's full of terrible, awful comments. I don't expect you to go out there and engage with all of them, right? Maybe pick one person and keep it at that. Um, because again, even myself, I have to balance these opposing uh, tugs of, do what's good for society versus do what's necessary for me, right? Which is, again, necessary for my mental, emotional health, but also just necessary for my schedule. Because, again, I got a job to do. I got a family to spend time with. I'm not going to dedicate my life to engaging with internet trolls. But I would encourage everyone to make sure at least some time each week is dedicated to engaging with people whose views make you angry. All right, Uh, I think that's all we will cover for now because we're getting up on 15 minutes here. So again, if this really resonated with you, message me on LinkedIn. We're gonna create some sort of an insider's group. Um, There will be a future episode that comes out, I'm not sure when, but it'll be a future episode where I get into a little more specifics of exactly how to do this well, some tactical advice on how to manage your emotions, uh, and then also some tactical advice on how to phrase your statements to make the best chance of, of affecting the other person's worldview. Um, whenever that does get posted, I'll like link it in the comments here. But again, it you know, could be a few months before I get around to that. Um, and subscribe to the channel because there's going to be a whole lot of really interesting conversations coming out. A lot of them between people who disagree, but again, a lot of them either also just covering other awkward and vulnerable topics um, that we're all kind of trained to avoid because we just don't like discomfort and awkwardness. And you know, we've been trained that so many topics are taboo. Um, And, you know, we'll, we'll be, we'll be tackling those topics in this conversations or in this podcast, in these conversations. So thank you for listening and I will see you all guys on another episode.